Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and ask you to guide and show us what you would want us to see from these verses. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 22. We ended uh, the last chapter with Jehoram dying in battle. And that's where we take, take off in verse 1. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his son, youngest son, king in his stead, for the band of men that had come with the Arabians to the camp to, had slain all the eldest. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, re reigned. Forty-two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. And he also, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore he did evilly, evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He walked also after their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Ahaziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and Syria smote Jehoram. Jehoram. I'm going to stop there for a moment because I want to cover this couple points here. Uh, so we have Jehoram dying in battle, and all of his sons, except for one, dies in battle. And they make his son Ahaziah, Ahaziah the king. Now, very interesting, and Betsy pointed this out last week as a as an issue, 42 years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. Now, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 26, it says that Ahaziah was 22 years old. And um, his father reigned for 40 years, so him being 42 years old doesn't make much sense. There are two answers to this question that people have looked at. One is that it's possibly a copy error, that somehow they misprinted the word 40 and put in 20. Um, lots of problems with that idea because of how strict the Jews were about scribing these things. They would write them out and then two other, Jew, two other scribes would look at it before they destroyed the, old, the, the original. So that means three people, the writer made a mistake and you know, two other people who looked it over made a mistake. Uh, there is another one that I had never heard of until I started doing research, and this is the idea that it would be the age of a dynasty, the entire king's dynasty, all right? And there's either dynasty would work. Uh, it could be the evil uh, dynasty of Omri, Ahab, Ahaziah to Jor Joram, which would be 42 years. Or it could be the good dynasty that started Jehoram, Ahaziah, Athaliah, and jo Joash, which is evil, good, evil, evil, good. I'm not going to say which one it is. I have trouble buying the idea that it's a scribe error. And what did you say in 2 Kings chapter? 8, verse 26. Verse 26. Verse 26. That tells you that... Uh, that he was 22 years old when he took reign, which makes sense. His father was only reigned for only 40 years. It makes sense that he was only 22 years old. It makes it very hard for him, or died at 40, excuse me, which makes it very hard for him to be 42 years old when he takes reign. And he's the son, the youngest son of the king. 
So I, and as I said, I have problems just writing it off to a scribe's error because that's a big error to, to make. And so I kind of tend to agree with these guys that it's one of the two dynasties that they're reaching out to and saying from Omri to Joad, uh, Jor Joram would be 42 years or from uh, Jehoram to Joash, the next good king, would have been 42 years. Uh, take your pick on which one you want to believe. I just have problems believing a clerical error <laughs> On the New Test, on the Old Testament, if you want to tell me the Old of the New Testament made a clerical error, I would agree with you possibly because I do not believe that they really understood that they were writing scriptures. They wrote letters that were copied and sent out, so I can see a clerical error there. But the Old Testament, hard to picture a uh, clerical error. So, so he comes to reign. And it says his mother's name was Athaliah, the, the daughter in, in, uh, in the uh, King James, technically the granddaughter, but the Hebrew only says daughter. Whether you're a granddaughter, a daughter, great-granddaughter, doesn't matter. Five generations back, you're a daughter. And we know that uh, Athaliah is the granddaughter of Omri because she is the daughter of Ahab. All right? And so he's got a very wicked mother and we're going to find out how extremely wicked she is over the next next couple um, the next chapter or two and it says he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly so he does not accept any of the counselors that his father had remember his father Jehoram was a good king he was doing he was doing godly things but he takes his counsel from his mother, the daughter of Ahab. And remember, Ahab worshipped Astora and, and Baal. So this was the god and goddess of the northern kingdom. So she's coming in. She is not a Jew in the first place. She was outside the family of, Jew, of the Jews. She had married Ahab. And if you remember the story about Jezebel, which is her mother... Jezebel basically ran the kingdom, not Ahab. And so she learned from one of the best <laughs> at how to manipulate. And so this is who is giving him counsel. And I can tell you one thing, his, her counsel would not have been follow God and be like your dad. It's going to be much worse uh, to follow after the other gods. And so this is what we have did. And it says in verse 4, Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction or ruin. Now, one of the other things we have with Ahab and Jezebel, if you remember the stories, they were killing off all the prophets of God, and they were you know, battling against Elijah all the time and having these problems, and they did not like Elijah, and... He's that he's they were the king and queen at the time that he said no rain until I speak and they had the years of no rain and they were putting all the prophets of God to death and elevating prophets of Baal and Astora and this is gets you battle on Mount Carmel where fire falls down and and burns up the altar and, and 
the prophet tells him, kill the 450 prophets of Baal. And then that is when Jezebel said, you're a dead man. <laughs> I'm coming to get you. If you remember the story, he had just won a great victory on the, on the mountain against 450 people. And what did he do? He ran 200 miles south to get away from Jezebel uh, rather than stand for God. And when he finally met the angel, God asked him, what are you doing down here? Go back where you're supposed to be. And he had to go all the way back. And I'm sure his trip back was not as quick as his trip down there. Because he was like, I'm not wanting to go back. I don't want to be there. Found every reason probably to not get there quickly. This is, this is the family that has married into, um, that Jehoram married. This is the standards that are being brought out. And it says that Ahaziah follows after their ways. And it doesn't really tell us how far he went with his ways. Was he building temples to Baal and Ashtoreth? Was he killing off the prophets? We don't know how fully he followed in Ahab's style. But his mom was there encouraging him, so I'm sure many of them were dying because that was the example that she had received from her mom. This is laying the, the foundation for how bad this king is. And, you know, it says in verse 2, and I skipped over it, he reigned for one year. He's going to have a really long reign. He's going to reign for one year. And it says, and he did all this evil in the eyes of the, of the Lord. And in verse 5, he walked after the council and went, after Jehoram, and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Ahaziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth, Gilead, and the Syrians smote Joram. So he goes and does the same thing his father did and Jehoshaphat did. All these kings keep joining up with the northern kingdom that God is setting, you know, saying is going to be destroyed. And all these kings of Judah go and help them because they all get married into the family of that king's line. You know, and you've got to understand this is really a picture of being unequally yoked. Because these women are influencing their husbands into the wrong direction. Or in this case, the mother is influencing the son, which is even more of a power, uh, into doing what is wrong. And each one of them, Jehoshaphat, Je uh, Jehoram, and now Ahaziah, are all linking themselves up with the northern kingdom. And it always comes to their hurt. And in this case, we're going to see that it really hurts Ahaziah and Judah as a whole. And verse 6 says, And when he returned to be healed in Jezreel, this is Joram, because his wounds which were given him at Ramoth, when he fought against Ahaziel, king of Syria, and Azariah, the son of Jehoiram, Jehoiram king of Judah, went down to see, Jeho to see Jehoram, and the son of Ahab at Jezreel because he was sick. And the destruction of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Jehoram. For when he was come, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had appointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it came to pass that when Jehu was executing judgment upon the house of Ahab and found the prince, prince, prince of Judah and the sons of the brethren of Hazia, 
that ministered into Ahaziah, he slew them. All right, so we're going to look at this. So he goes, Joram is hurt in battle. He goes back to Jezreel, which is his, his uh, palace. Ahaziah comes and joins him. He gets healed up and goes right back out to battle again to fight. And while he's out at battle, he's going to go against Jehu. Now, if you want to remember, know anything about Jehu, you go back to 2 Kings chapter 9. The prophet told Jehu that he was going to be given the kingdom and all he had to do was kill off all of, all of Omri's family and Jehu, uh, Ahab and, and Joram and kill all of them off and he was going to be king. He was also promised that if he followed and obeyed God, that his kingdom would be lasting forever. He did not follow God. He was just as bad as all the other ones. He killed off all these. He killed all killed off a lot of the priests for one one God, but kept the other God. So he was not a good man. And again, it says, and the destruction or ruin of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Joram. For when he was come, he went out with Joram against Jehu the son of Nimshi, who the Lord had appointed to cut off Ahab. So he is going out to fight a battle without seeking God. If he had sought God, God would have said, no, you don't go out and beat Jehu because Jehu is going to win this battle. But remember that Jehoshaphat, when he was at him, he goes, well, don't you have a prophet we can talk to? And he still very foolishly went out to battle. Here, Ahaziah doesn't even ask for, for a prophet. He just says, oh, it sounds good. We'll go, we'll go get rid of that upstart you know, trying, to, trying to attack you. He's not gone to God to hear that this is God's plan for Joram to be eliminated. And all of, this, all of his sons are to be eliminated. And he goes out to battle with him against Jehoram. And in this process, Jehu kills all the, prin the princes of Judah, the sons, of, the sons and brethren of, of, of Ahaz, and all of his ministers, he slew them. So apparently everybody important had come with Ahaziah. Now why he brought everybody I have, no idea. Sometimes I wonder about these guys, whether they knew anything about military, anything about strategy. Because it says here he brought all of his leaders with him and they all get killed by Je Jehu. That is pretty foolish. But it does go to show how foolish people can be when they're doing things that is not sanctioned by God and not listening to God. And I sometimes wonder how many times have we done the same thing? We do something that seems like a wonderful idea, forget to ask God anything about what we're doing, and then wonder why big devastation happens in our life and it didn't work and you know things fall apart and we're going God uh, what has just happened why did all of this happen and I'm going to go right back to what uh, Aziah did not do he did not seek God and my biggest problems are those times when I did what looked good real good and has made all the sense in the world to me and I just did it and then watched it fall apart and going, God, why did it fall apart and realize all of a sudden, well, you know what? I never prayed. I never asked God his opinion. 
And here is Ahaziah going into battle against God's prophecy. And then he's going to wonder why things didn't work out right. Well, actually, he's not going to wonder why because he's going to be dead. Because that's what it, the result of his is that they, in verse 9, and he sought Ahaziel, and this is he is Jehu, and they caught him, for he was hid in Samaria, and they brought him to Jehu, and when they had slain him, they buried him, because they said, He is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no power to keep still the kingdom. So they captured Ahaziah, brought him to Jehu, and Jehu killed him. Now, when we were studying 2 Kings, I did note that nowhere in the scripture did it tell Jehu to kill the prince and the king of Judah. So this is one place where he's gone beyond the prophecy. I don't know if he was trying to take both kingdoms, you know, got rid of the king of, of Judah, and now I can take both kingdoms. I'm not sure what he was thinking, because we're, we're never told. But he went beyond what God said to kill the prince of the king of and the princes of Judah as well and so and then it says and Ahaziah had no power to keep or retain the kingdom one year of reign and he was a young man 23 years old he reigned for one year so he dies at 23 years old all because he did not do what God said and listened to bad advice. He was listening to his mother's advice. He was listening to the counselors of Ahab and his people and did not make godly decisions. And we've said this several times over the period of going through this. Nations face judgments as well as people. Leaders of nations face judgments. And this is clear in the scriptures that the, the kings and, and leaders of these countries all will face a judgment before God. And we read in Revelation that the nations stand before God, not just individuals, but the nations and the leaders of these nations will stand before God and give an account of their national uh, evil. And you know, this is the one thing that as I look at America and say we deserve so much punishment and wondering how these leaders are going to stand before God and justify where they took our country to. Took our country from a country that stood for God to a country that has thrown God out. And they will have to answer for this. Just as all these other kings have had to answer for all of these issues that they have done and that they have followed. And so we see here that Ahaziah was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it cost him his life. He should not have been with the northern kingdom. He should not have been with Jehoram. He should not have gone to battle with him against Jehu, and should have just gone home. And even then, I don't know how long he would have lasted listening to the, to the counselors that he was listening to, because he's reaping what he is sowing. And this is something that we've said so often. There's always consequences to our actions always not usually as fast as uh, as uh, Azariah being less than a year but there's always consequences to actions and sometimes they hurt a lot in Aziah's 
case, it's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt his brothers. His, his, well, his brothers are dead. His sons, his ministers. And as we're going to see in the next set of verses, it hurts the nation. In a very big way, it's going to hurt the nation. Verse 10 says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal seed of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Aziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain, and put him and his nurse in the bedchamber. So Jehoshaphat, daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not, and he was with them hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. All right. So here we have the only time in the nation of Judah that it is not ruled by a, by a descendant of David. We have a usurper coming into power because Athaliah is descendant of Ahab and Jezebel and and uh, she is not even Jewish. And she is going to take the throne, much like her mother set the example for. Except she does it even worse than her mother. She doesn't even do it in the king's name. She's going to take the throne. And note here it says, when she saw her son was dead, she destroyed all the royal seed. Okay? Anybody who was born and existed from the line of David, she tried to wipe out the line of David. She was wicked. She was motivated by Satan without knowing it because Satan was trying to wipe out David's line, knowing that the king, that the Messiah had to be of David's line. So she was, without knowing it, doing the work of Satan and trying to destroy the line of David. And she almost succeeded. Very close came to succeeding because she got rid of all of these but the Jehoshaphat the daughter of the king took Joash the son of Amaziah and stole him away kidnapped him (laughs) all right took him somehow she got wind of what was going on and I find it very interesting how many women are heroes in the bible this woman, who nobody knows her name half the, usually, is a hero. She is the one that rescues Joash, one of the greatest kings of Judah. And she is the one that rescues him when he's scheduled to die. And most people don't even know her name. And it's not one that I would know off the top of my head. I know that, there's a, I know that his aunt was the one that rescued him, but I would not recognize her name because it's never mentioned outside of this little story of her rescuing her nephew and she grabs him and the the child's nurse and takes him back to the temple where her husband is and they hide Joash in the house of the temple of God for six years Athaliah is going to reign in Judah for six years Technically, Joash is the king. He's the only one left of the king's sons 
of the king's family. So he is really king, even though he's very young, but he's not going to be king yet. And Athaliah is going to reign for, seven, uh, for six years. Now remember, she is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and wicked, and this is not going to be a good time for the land of Judah. And we're not told a whole lot in this version of what she's done, but evil enough just wiping out all your grandkids and your nieces and nephews. I mean, this is a woman who has no apparent consciousness at all. She's willing to kill. So there's not very many women that are heroes? There's lots of women that are heroes in the Bible, but most people don't know their names. Most people don't think about them because I've heard people go, well, women in the Bible weren't all that important. Well, I don't know. I've got a lot of women in this Bible that are very important. You've got Deborah. You've got Rahab. You've got uh, Esther. You've got Ruth. You've got uh, Jehoshabeth. <laughs> you know, uh, we've got lots of women who are very heroic in the Bible. And God has always raised the level of women to a very high level. But I just find this very interesting because so many people will say women weren't important in the Bible and the you Christians put women down and all these things. And no, if you read the Bible, it's very important that women are always raised up. Jesus really raised their level. And then we think about, if you look at history, the only place women really have rights and, and privileges are in the Christian nations. Outside of the Christian nations, women are still looked at as property with very little rights. All of these things come down to how wonderful it is. And these little, I love these little things that just pop out. This, the little three verses, three verses here, this hero for the Jews. Yeah, the hero of the Jewish monarchy and nobody, nobody really knows her name. Now I'm sure the Jews probably know her name uh, because, this, you know, because she, saved, she does save the monarchy. But for anybody outside of that, most Gentiles probably have no clue the miracle of Joash's being saved. And this is very important as we look at this. Yeah, it, she saved the Lion of David from being wiped out. And this is, this is good news. Satan's plan was thwarted by a woman just as Satan's plan was thwarted by a virgin who gave birth to Jesus and all the other women that have done things great in the kingdom that, that have thwarted many of his plans. So this is just something to be able to look at. She hid him and, from being slain and, she, and then they took him to the house of God, the temple, and kept him in the temple. And I have a feeling that this was probably a great place to go because I doubt that Athaliah ever went to the temple. It was a good place to hide the heir to the throne. And so he is in the temple being taught by his, by his aunt and by Jehoiada the priest. She's a great somebody that people don't know the name of. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And like I say, it's just that little quick, even, even in the other place, it's just like two or three sentences saying she rescued him. Well, I think it's me how you point that out because I didn't think about it. Most people don't. I've really never thought about it until the last few years. And it's like, wow, she rescued the monarchy. 
She really did. And she is a hero for the, for the Jewish monarchy. And most people, especially outside of Judaism, and even most Jews probably don't know her name, unless they really study the scriptures. And most Gentiles don't even care. So she is an unsung hero that is not well known to the whole world. Okay, we're going to move into chapter 23. And in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and took the captains of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoiam, and Ishmael the son of Je Jehohanan, and Azariah the son of Obed, and Maesach uh, the son of Adariah, and Elishephat the son of Zikri, into covenant with him. And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and the chiefs of the fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of, his, of God, and he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord hath said of the sons of David. This is the thing that you shall do. A third, let's stop there. Just let's look at this. Rebell rebellion getting ready to happen. Joash is seven years old at this point, and they decide that it is now time to present him as king. As far as the priest has been concerned, Joash has been king all along. I mean, it's, he's, he has been his guardian, his, his protector, his teacher, and of course you can't take a, you know, a one-year-old and try to make him <laughs> make him a king because that he would be so vulnerable even at seven years old he's not going to be all that all that strong uh, so Je Jehoiada strengthens himself he makes himself strong and starts getting ready for a battle and he goes out and he finds some captains of a hundred that means men that men that were in charge I'm not going to read their names again he gets several of them and he makes, them, makes a covenant with them. Now, this also goes to show us how unpopular Athaliah is at this point. He's able to get men from the, from the army to come to his side. And this is a big deal. Uh, any, any rebellion that does not have the army on its side and has the army against him is in trouble. Because it's hard to fight the professional army uh, if you're the ragtag bunch of people. Now, it has happened. It has happened in history. The United States is one of those places where a ragtag group, you know, formed an army and was able to defeat the, the greatest nation and you know, army in the at the time. Napoleon was able to do the same thing when he raised up an army against the uh, the king of, of France. Uh, so all of these things happen, and so he raises up in these military leaders with their hundreds that they represent. And he makes a covenant with them. What's his covenant? Obvious that, hey, the king is, the king is here in the temple. We're going to put the king in power. And now is the time we're going to step up. And basically saying, are you willing to stand with us as we put the rightful king in place? Then it says, they went about all of Judah and gathered all the Levites out of all the cities and the chiefs of the fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. So remember... The Levites, under David's time, were broken up into 24 bands, the priests and the Levites. 
the Levites lived all over Israel and their job when they weren't at the temple was to minister to the people and serve the people and twice a year they would come to Jerusalem to serve God and so Jehoiada is saying I want all the Levites all the several thousand Levites that are out there and out and about to come to Jerusalem I need an army is what he's saying so he gets the ones he knows he can trust these are the people that he is directly in charge of that he can appeal to spiritually and just as he's going to under this covenant and saying uh, the son of David is here and we need to put the son of David on the throne and this is his this is his statement and it says all the congregation that came together made a covenant and note with the king in the house of God so all of these men are coming to Jerusalem to the temple and they make a covenant with the seven-year-old king to be his defenders and to put him on the throne now I don't know how none of this was seen by Athaliah probably because she had nothing to do with the temple so what was going on in the temple didn't matter to her she figured they didn't they weren't going to be a problem they hadn't been a problem for six years maybe they had said something we don't know we're not we're not privy to what was happening during that six years but all of this is happening right under her nose he is a baby but he is the king he's not the only child king in, in history well even in the Bible there's a lot of young ones but even in history if all the parents die the youngest child that well the oldest of the youngest childs will be made king and they will have a guardian over them so in technicality as we read on Jehoiada is going to rule the kingdom so the priest is going to rule the kingdom and do things God's way and Joash is going to be good with it Joash is going to be a good king all the days of Jehoiada uh, but initially Jehoiada is going to be the one running the kingdom as the guardian all right uh, guardian and he's going to do everything in the name of Joash but you're right Joash is really too young but they're making their promise basically Jehoiada but they're making it in the name of the king because Jehoiada says we need to put the son of David on the throne where he belongs basically not that upstart that's not even not even a member of the Jewish family not even a Jew all right she had no claim whatsoever to the kingdom other than having been married to Ahaziah that's her own or not even no, that was his mother excuse me uh, being married to Jehoram that's her only claim to the throne but for her that's enough because she's not a Jew she doesn't recognize what God has said and what the, how the people are thinking she thinks she's got them all under her thumb as she's doing all of this stuff and so here we have this group of people coming and and in verse the in, second half of verse 3 it says and he said unto them behold the king's son shall reign as the Lord hath said of the sons of David what is he doing to everybody he's remi reminding all through the scriptures we get this idea remember 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 so here he is talking to the priests and the Levites and saying hey we know that it's son of David is supposed to be on the throne here he is he was rescued at that slaughter six years ago 
Now, does that sound just a little familiar to what happened to Jesus? Herod killed all the children of Bethlehem and that whole area to try to wipe out the king. And God delivered his son by sending him to Egypt to get away. You know, isn't it amazing how the picture of Jesus is all through this scriptures? Here, he is rescued. He's not taken far in this case. He's just taken to the temple. Jesus is literally taken out of the country to put him out of any chance of being slaughtered. This one was taken just as far as the temple, which was just far enough because they had their own palace guard and everything. So he's got his, he's got his group of people to help protect the king. And they're not going to let Athaliah into the temple anyway because she's not Jewish. She made no pretense of being a Jew. Uh, and so they're not letting him in. Verse 4, this is the thing that you shall do. A third part of you shall enter on the Sabbath of the priest and the Levites and shall be the porters of the door. A third part shall be at the king's house and a third part at the gate at the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let, but let none come into the house of the Lord save the priest and they that minister of the Levites. They shall go in for they are holy but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall encompass the king round about, every man with his weapon in his hand, and whosoever else comes into the house, he shall be put to death. But be you with the king whom ye, when he comes in and when he goes out. All right, so here's the plan that Jehoiada puts together. He goes, I've got all my Levites, I've got these leaders of the guard, and he goes, we're going to break you up into three groups. All right, so he divides his people into, th into three groups. And one, he says, the Le one part of you, of Levites, you're going to guard the gates. You're going to guard the gates of the temple. No one is getting in. No one is getting out unless the Levite lets them in. So that's three gates. So this third part is guarding three gates of the temple. And a third part shall be at, at the king's house. Now, this one is kind of interesting to me. He takes a third of his army and Levites to go to the king's house and sends an army to the king's house, the palace, where, where the Athaliah lives. And I'm not sure what this is whole, you know, maybe he's trying to get her off guard or whatever and drag her out. I don't fully understand what he was trying to do with this or how, how the rest of the guard even let an armed guard come in. But he sends a third part to the king's house. And then he sends a third part to the gate at the foundation. He, puts, and then he sends a third part to the gates of Jerusalem so that nobody's going to come in and be able to rescue. So what he's done is effectively cut off any extra help for Athaliah from the army outside of, king, out of, outside of, the, of uh, the palace in Jerusalem. She only has whatever guard she has with her. And he's cut off everything else. He's cut off her guard from coming down to the temple because they're guarding the house. They've got the gates of Jerusalem guarded so nobody can come in to su support her. And he's got the temple guarded so nobody can get in the temple to kill the king. He's got a pretty good plan overall. He, he is a military, for being the, being the priest, the high priest, he's got a lot of military smarts as well. And and he tells them, let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priest and they that minister to, of the Levites. They shall go in and holy, but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. So he's saying, 
I want nobody but the Levites in here. Levites, you're under my authority. I'm, I'm the head of the Levites. I can trust you is what he's saying. And he's saying if somebody is not a Levite, they do not come into the temple that day. Now you've got to picture this. Where were people supposed to go to worship on the Sabbath day? To the temple. So all outside the temple are going to be these people coming to worship, being told by the Levites you can't come in today. It's a very interesting, interesting thing. But he also wanted the crowd. He needs the crowd there to support the king when the king is announced. So he needs a crowd. So it has to happen on the Sabbath day. But can you imagine you come to church that day and nobody lets you in the church? Say, sorry, you can't come in today. Just stay outside right now. They're there with their lambs and their sacrifices and their goats and their, and their cows and, their, you know, and all these things. And they're told, you cannot come in. Or probably more phrased, you cannot come in yet. Yeah, think about that. What a, what a, can you imagine the crowd outside the temple? What is going on today? Why can't we get into the temple? And what would be the first thing you'd probably ask? What happened in the temple? You know, what happened? You know, was, there, was there a fire? Was there a murder? Did somebody steal something? You can hear the rumors out there. Just as we would be when you can't get into something. What happened in there? Especially when the police are all around it. This is the, these guys are armed for war. And that's, well, that's going to be what's going on. What happened inside the temple last night? You know, and you hear probably all kinds of rumors going on out, outside the temple as people are standing around waiting to get in to worship God on the Sabbath day. And they're not allowed to come in. And then it says, and the Levites shall com compass the king round about, every man with his weapon in his hand, and whosoever else comes to the house, he shall be put to death. But be you with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So he says, I'm putting a bunch of Levites to be his bodyguard. If anybody breaks through a door, kill them. Uh, now you got guys at the doors too. This happens a lot everywhere. You know, this is happening. This is, this is a rebellion. He knows he's got to protect the king. And these guys probably were tasked with, just as every other bodyguard, the, the Secret Service are tasked when they're guarding the president that if a gunshot happens, they are to take the bullet for the president. This is his bodyguard. Yeah. Arrow coming, you step in front of that arrow, you put a shield in front of that arrow, you do not let an arrow or sling anything get near him your his life is in your hands and he better not die because there is no other son of David left and you can tell you, I will feel think that these Levites took this task seriously this is the only son of David left now on one side they're gonna say well God's gonna protect protect him as well but they're also gonna make sure that nothing happens to this young boy and Okay, verse 7, uh, 8. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all the things that Jehoiada the priest had commanded and took every man, every man his men that were come in on the Sabbath with them that were to go out on the Sabbath for Jehoiada the priest dismissed not the courses so he didn't let anybody go. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captains of, 
of hundred spears and bucklers and shields and that had been King David's that were in the house of God. And he said, all the people, every man having his weapon in his hand from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar of the temple, by the king around about. Then they brought to the, out the king's son and put on him the crown and gave him the, gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. All right, so here's the picture of what's going on inside. He, Jehoiada takes all the weapons that David had put into the temple. They'd never been taken out. And he gives them to the captains of the hundreds that he had, that he had called. Spears, shields, armor. He totally decks them out for war with David's armor that David had put in there. And then he says he put them in three lines. And you have to read carefully to understand this. He puts a line of them right up against the wall of the temple. All right, so that's your first line. Then he puts a line around the, tent, the altars. So that if you get through the first line, you've got to now battle the second line. And then he puts a third line where the king is going to be anointed. So he's taken his third of the people and divided them into three groups as well. So we have a line at the wall, a line at the altars, and a line in direct defense of the king. And, you know, so we, he is laying out a battle plan. Plus he's got the gate, he's got the king's, the king's house covered. He's got people outside the temple out there. He is, he is ready for war. He is ready for a battle. Because at this point, he is not 100% sure how the people are going to react when Athaliah is shown to not be in charge. They've got the king. Athaliah has been in charge for eight years, excuse me, seven years. So this is a very dangerous moment for the kingdom. Because if she can get her army together, they would, could and should be able to overpower the Levites at the temple. Which is why he's, guarded the, he's guarding the gates of Jerusalem so no, no more of the army can get in. And he's hoping that the army will turn around and, and come to his side anyway. And he's hoping that the people will come to his side. So as we look at the story, this is where we're at. And he brought out, he brought out the, the child and he put the crown on him. They gave him the testimony or the, the, the word of God. And then they all started yelling, God save the king. All right. This is not something that Athaliah is going to want to hear. The temple is not that far from the palace. It's far enough, but it's not that far. And the, everybody inside the temple is shouting out, God save the king. Not God save the queen, which is what Athaliah wants to hear, but God save the king. So a moment of great uh, tumult. Verse 12. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the, people into, came to the people into the house of the Lord, and she looked, and behold, the king stood at the pillar at the entering in, and the princes and the trumpets by the king and all the people in the land rejoiced and sounded trumpets, also the singers with their instruments of music, and such has been taught to sing praises. And Athaliah rent her clothes and said, Treason, treason. And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds that were set over the host and said to them, Have her forth with the, of, of the ranges, and, also, and whosoever follows her, and let him 
be slain with the sword, for the priest said, Slay her not in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. So I don't know why she ran to the temple. This, you know, this always amazes me when people have deceived themselves so much. She probably thought, I've been ruling for six years, the army's on my side, the people are on my side, nobody's challenged me for six years. I can go take care of this and not have any problem. So she runs over to the temple and sees what's going on and somehow got into the temple. I don't know how. Somebody wasn't doing their job. <laughs> or maybe they were afraid to touch the queen without direct instructions, which could be possible. But she gets in, sees the king, and she starts screaming treason. Well, from her mindset, it is treason. From their mindset, she was the treasonous one. She took the throne illegally from the house of David. For, for their mindset, they've committed treason. She's, she's yelling treason. And Jehoiada says, get her and any of her bodyguard that are with them, with her, slay the bodyguard and drag her out and slay her. You know, and they overpower her bodyguard. I don't know how many a third part of his uh, uh, Levites were. Several, several thousand Levites probably, you know, enough for, you know, uh, 12, uh, 12 courses, 24 courses. So there's lots of Levites. And they get her and they drag her out to the king, uh, the horse gate by the, uh, the, by the king's house and they slew her there. And to get her there, they obviously had to slay her bodyguard. So there's been a lot of killing going on so far, but not, you know, notice that what it says here, and she saw all the people of the land rejoicing and sounding trumpets and the singers singing and the music of praise. When she looks out to her, she sees everybody rejoicing that there's a king in the land. And it's not her. It's not her being rejoiced over. That is going to irritate her. And she's where she gets insane treason. But apparently there had been enough whispering, enough going on, that everybody in that area was saying, singing praises, blowing trumpets. I kind of think about when, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the triumphant entry. The roads were lined and the people were rejoicing that the king had come. Same thing, Jerusalem. The king is here. The king is here and everybody is rejoicing. The king is, is here in Jerusalem. The rightful king, the king of, after the line of David, has come back to take the throne. And Athaliah is killed is killed because of this. And verse 16 says, And Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people and between the king that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and broke it down and broke its altars and the images and pieces. They slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And Jehoiada appointed the officers of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priest and the Levites whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord and to offer burnt offerings to the Lord as it is written in the law of Moses and with rejoicing and with singing as it was ordained by David. And he set the porters at the gates of the house of the Lord that none which was unclean in anything should enter in. And he took the captains of the hundreds and the nobles and the governors of the people and all the people of the land and brought them down, brought down the king from the house of the Lord. And they came through the high gate to the king's house 
and set the king upon the throne of the kingdom. And all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after they had slain Athaliah with the sword. So here we see the actions of this is done. And it starts with Jehoiada makes a covenant between him and amongst the people. Right? Because you pointed out the, the king's only seven years old. Right? So the people aren't going to really feel comfortable making their thing. So Jehoiada says, I'm the guardian. I'm the one that's going to do it. Make your covenant with me. I have the power to make sure this covenant is enforced. Then he says, and he between the king. Then he turned the king and made his covenant to serve the king. So the people told Jehoiada, we're going to be in covenant with you. And then he turned to the king and said, I am, I am making a covenant with you, king. What a powerful thing that has happened. And their covenant was that they should be the Lord's people. We are going to follow God. This is after seven years of being reigned, or six, being reigned over by Athaliah. And the first thing they do is they went to the house of Baal. This tells us that a temple has been built in Jerusalem for Baal. All right? They go to the house of Baal and broke, down, broke it down, broke the altars, and slew the priest of Baal before the altars. They're starting the right move. We are God's people. We're getting rid of the idols. Now remember, Athaliah is the, son, the, the, the granddaughter of Ahab, who is a Baal worshiper. So she brought this whole worship, uh, the daughter of the, uh, Ahab, the grand, granddaughter of Ahab, Al- Almri, sorry. <laughs> so she brought Baal right into Jerusalem. And they destroyed that, that. And then it says real quickly over these verses that Jehadiah returns everybody back to their positions that they're supposed to have. All the Levites were given their positions and he reestablishes the, the ministers and he takes the captains of the hundreds, the nobles, the governors, and brings them out to the land. And then he parades the king from the temple to the, to the palace. And I'm sure there were lots of Levites around just in case. <laughs> he had his bodyguard, but the people seemed to be very happy. Athaliah is dead, long live the king. <laughs> and the people are happy with this situation which tells us that they weren't overly happy with Athaliah. This is a usurper on the throne. This is a person that's not even one of them ruling. In Jesus' day, this was, she was the equivalent of Herod. Herod was not a Jew. He was, he was married to a Jewish woman, but he was not a Jew. And the people did not like that he called himself king. He was not a Jew. He was not of the line of David. And they did not accept it. They did not accept Athaliah as their king. And it says in the last verse in 21, and all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet after they had slain Athaliah with the sword. No rebellion. They got rid of her bodyguard, whatever people supported her. If there was any support, they drifted off into the, into the hills and the woods and, and disappeared because Jehoiada had done his job well. He had taken Jerusalem with very little bloodshed. He had killed her bodyguard and he had killed her. But apparently there was not a great massive war. He did all of this apparently in one day and put the king, Joash, on the throne with very little bloodshed. And the people rejoiced. The people were happy. 
when God is behind something, it works out. When God is not behind something, as Joash's father found out, it doesn't work out, no matter how good it looks. And this is why we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. If we walk in our own understanding, we will go into failure. God will not let it be successful. When we walk in God's ways, he blesses those ways. Even when we can't see any way for that to happen, God will make it happen. And here we have in, in one probably afternoon, the kingdom's reign transferred from Athaliah to Joash without, without a whole major thing. And the people were happy. The king's son sits on the throne as it is supposed to be. So the historical note is that Athaliah ran, reigned for six years. The reality is the king reigned even though he was not old enough to reign and was not known. He was alive, he was the king, and Athaliah was just the puppet, the puppet the, out there pretending, pretending to reign. And then when the time came, they stood in and, and watched God work. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Help us to always seek you in all that we do and to follow you. And we thank you for your love and your care of us. Lord, teach us to seek you in all of our decisions to, so, to walk your ways and not our own. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.